when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And finally, blessed are all the women who mother, care, teach, and guide us. You have blessed us, and we wish God's blessings on you today. Yes, and amen. Happy Mother's Day. My name is Mark Youngman. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Church. And I just want to take a moment today to say Happy Mother's Day to my own mother. She's a few states away um, watching today, worshiping with us today. And I just want to say I love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. I know it feels a little strange, but um, we haven't actually been together for Mother's Day for probably a couple of decades now. She's always been a few states away. Usually I've been preaching on, on Mother's Day. And so it's not really an unusual thing for us, but I find myself longing to be with my mom on Mother's Day, maybe this year more than any time, as Jacob kind of mentioned earlier. I know some of you are gathered together in a living room, and kids, you might actually be sitting near your mom right now. Adult children, you might even be able to be with your mom today on Mother's Day worshiping. So if you just want to take a moment right now to look at her and say, I love you, mom. Thank you. (laughs) That would be a great time to, to do that. Now, I know others of you feel the same way I do, like you're longing to be with someone today. You're longing to be with your mom, and some of you are longing to be with your mom because she's a few states away. Some of you are longing to be with your mom because she passed away this year. Some of you are longing to be with your mom because she passed away a a long time ago, but that longing still remains. And what I want to say to you today in recognizing all of that is, is that that longing points us to the really good stuff. So we're going to stay in it today, okay? I want to speak to you, um, if you have not been with us uh, ever before, or if you haven't been with us during this series, I just want to kind of take a moment to, to, to um, bring you up to speed. We're talking about the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of a sermon that Jesus preached. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And this, we're really just looking at one line a week, just a little bit of this every week. So if, you've, if you're just jumping in right now, you're only a few lines in. I'll do my best to kind of catch you up just, just for a moment. In this scene, Jesus gathers a few of his disciples. He gathers, gathers his disciples, leaves a crowd, and with his disciples goes to the side of a mountain to begin teaching to them. Now what we know is that by the end of the sermon, there was a huge, massive crowd of people gathered there listening to him speak. Now, I don't know if they were there the whole time. I'm kind of hoping that they they heard most of of the message. Um, But what's amazing is that by the end of this sermon, there were more people than there were at the beginning, which that's that's a rare thing in preaching. (laughs) That's like Billy Graham, Jacob Armstrong level. That is like amazing that at the end of the sermon, there were more people than at the beginning. But I think even more amazing than that is the makeup of the crowd who was gathered to listen to Jesus. If you look at it, these people came from all over the region. Some of them traveled for hundreds of miles to come and listen to this man, Jesus. 
The reason that they were coming is because they had heard that he was somebody who was healing people. Healing people that, it says in in chapter 4, people who had been experiencing all kinds of sickness. People who had been experiencing all kinds of pain. People who were paralyzed. People who were possessed by demons. People who were experiencing seizures. Jesus was healing those people. So who was in the crowd listening to this Sermon on the Mount? Well, people from all over the region and people who were suffering great pain. People who were experiencing all kinds of sickness. All of them were coming to listen to this man share these words, and Jesus knew these things about them. So I want to invite you, as you're kind of picturing that scene of of all these people who are gathered around listening to this sermon, I want you to picture yourself in the midst of that, among the people who are feeling pain, who are feeling fear, who who are wondering about their future. Picture yourself there listening to Jesus preach this sermon. And he says these words. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Now, I don't know the full details of how the scene looked that day, but here's what I like to picture is like somewhere near the beginning of the message, people were were gathering around, people were coming to hear this message from Jesus, and he was actually calling them maybe with these words, like, all you who mourn, yeah, I see you, come up, come on, I've got room for you right up here in the front. All you who, who, who are meek, come on, come on up here. If you're poor in spirit, yeah, we've got room for you. This message is for you. I'm about to tell you something that's going to turn your life upside down. So yes, this is for you. And he's calling, he's like identifying them as they come and they listen to his sermon. And don't forget, you're in this scene too. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. And then he says, and this is our, our line for today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And as he's saying these words, there are people who are literally hungry and thirsty who are coming to Jesus. In that moment, when he's saying those words, there are people approaching him who are hungry and thirsty, literally. Hunger and thirst were were very common in Jesus' day, even more so than today probably. And people had been traveling. And so you can imagine that they, these words were being spoken and there were people whose stomachs were, were grumbling and their mouths were dry and parched. And they heard Jesus say, come to me all who are hungry and thirsty. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for you will be filled. And this is what Jesus does, right? He kind of goes into those places of our felt need, of our felt longing. And then he, and he helps, he uses that to get us to the place where we will be truly filled. I think possibly that's what Jesus is doing right now in this moment of pandemic in the world. Jesus sees our felt, our felt need and our felt longing, you know, even for things like, like toilet paper. <laughs> you know, the things that are scarce when you go into the store and you can't find them and we're like, all of a sudden, we didn't know how badly we needed things like toilet paper. <laughs> we didn't know how badly we needed things like Clorox wipes, but now when they're gone, we have this sense of need and, and Jesus says, that, that sense of need that you have, that desperation that you have right now, I want you to take that feeling, I want you to take that longing, and I want you to give it to God, the, my Father. When was the last time that you hungered and thirst? It's not like a real common thing for us to hunger and thirst. It's not all the time. And, and 
You know, I actually asked God for forgiveness for the number of times in my life in, in which I said, I'm starving. I've never been starving. There are times I've been hungry. There are times I've been thirsty. There was this one time when I was, I was on a hiking trip. It was like a three-day hiking trip. And uh, we took enough water with us for three days because we were going to an area that didn't have any water sources. And we knew that and we were smart, except for the fact that we got lost. And so it actually added a day to our hiking trip. And so on that extra day, we were running out of water. And by the time we got to the end of that day, I, I, I set up the, the camp and I had the tent all set up and I, I spotted it off in the distance. It was a puddle of murky, disgusting water. So I took my empty water bottle and I went and I scooped up the water and I dropped a couple of iodine tablets in it, which doesn't really make it taste any better and doesn't make it look any better. But I let the iodine tablets do their work and, and I drank it. <laughs> and it's what I needed, but I wouldn't have been able to drink it unless I was keenly aware of my thirst, keenly aware of what I needed. What I learned is that there is a different kind of thirst that you experience when you don't know when or if you'll find a source to quench your thirst. Like it's a desperation, right? But sometimes our longings are less out of desperation, more out of a sense that we've had something that was really good and we want to have more of it, right? Sometimes that's what, when we're saying we're hungry or even starving, what we really mean is there's something I know about that's really good and I want more of it. I want to tell you about my friend, Ann, Ann Sanders. She lives right here in this community. Uh, I've been friends with Ann for about 10 years. 10 years ago, she came into my office, and yeah, she, she came bearing a gift. I didn't really know Ann all that well yet. We had met, but I didn't know her all that well. And she was carrying this wooden bluebird. It was carved, like a carved little blue bluebird. And she handed it to me, and she said, this is a bluebird of happiness. <laughs> and I looked at it, and I you know, pastors sometimes get a lot of gifts that go nicely on shelves in their office. And so I was like, I've, I've got a spot for that right over here on, on my shelf. And I set down the bluebird of happiness. And then she sat down in my office and she told me about what was going on in her life. She had just lost a, a, a young adult daughter in a car accident just in the last, in the previous couple of years. So she told me how, how much grief she had been going through. She told me how God had encountered her and met her right there in that church in a time of worship on her knees and spoke to her that she was not alone. So she told me how God has been able to restore her over time. He, she told me about her family, her other daughters, her, her husband. And then she asked me about my kids and my family. And we just kind of entered into relationship and it was beautiful. So from that moment on, anytime I saw the bluebird sitting on my shelf, it made me happy. <laughs> it made me think of her. So I guess it's true. It was a, a bluebird of happiness <laughs> indeed. It was a great gift. But another gift that Anne brings to me, she brings it to me every single year. Um, every March, I begin to have this craving for something really good and sweet and gooey. <laughs> and it's because every year on my birthday, Anne and brings me a icebox Oreo pie. I don't know if you've ever heard of this invention. It's pretty amazing. Um, I've done like some deconstruction work, some, some research on it, just so that I can share with you what this dessert is like, because I want you to know. What you do is you take a, a whole package of Oreos. You take them out of the sleeves. You put them into a large Ziploc bag. 
and you take a large mallet or a meat tenderizer or something, and you just kind of, you just go to town on it. You pound them up until they're nice and, 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 and they're in crumbs right there. And then while you're doing that, you've got a couple of sticks of butter, solid butter, that are, are melting on the stove because what you're going to do, because what Oreos need is a little butter. And so you put two sticks of butter in with the crumbled Oreos and you kind of mix it up and then you're kind of making your base layer for the pie. You know what I'm talking about. So in the, and it's a rectangular can, uh, container. You put that in the bottom. You get it all settled in there. And then you take a can of Hershey's syrup, of chocolate syrup and you put it on, in a pan and you add butter to it and you kind of make it because you want to make it rich and you get it all in and it's nice consistency. And then you get that done and you pour it out over your Oreo and butter composition that's on the bottom of the pan. So after that, um, you're going to take one of those blocks of ice cream, you know what I mean, like the kind with just the thin cardboard layer around it. You get it out. It's got to be just the right consistency. You, you just peel back the layer of the cardboard on it so it's sitting there nice, nice. And you take, a, you take a knife and you make them into even sections and you lay them out on top of the syrup, which is on top of the chocolate, all full of butter. After that, you're going to want to go ahead and put another layer of cookies on top of the ice cream. I'm sorry to go into so much description here, but I can't help it. You put some cookie crumble on top of that. You take some more of the hot fudge all filled with butter. You put it on top of that. Now, it depends on how like, deep your pan is. You can keep going. You can keep going with the layers here. I think like, this is about the spot you want to kind of call it. Um, but then on top of that, you put a nice, thick, generous layer of Cool Whip, like the real stuff, right on top of that. Some people who are like a little extra crazy, they'll put full Oreos on top of that. And then you put it in the freezer. Right now, some of you are thinking about, what are we going to have for dessert this afternoon? Some of you are like halfway to the, to the refrigerator. I see you right now. Come back. Hold on. <laughs> Let's like stick with this for a minute. So we put it into the freezer, and then here's what happens. In the middle of the night, when the house is really quiet, it calls my name. <laughs> The Oreo freezer box pie, it calls to me, it calls out to me, and it is so good, and it is so delicious. What has my friend Anne done to me? <laughs> well, like sugar coma is part of it, but she also has just like increased my desire to have more of this something that is so good. She's actually done this for my family as too. They wait for my birthday. They're, they're excited for my birthday, but it's more about this than me. Every March, they know that it's coming but honestly, as good as that, that icebox Oreo pie is, what I'm really longing for, what I really am hungry for, is a deep connection that I have with my friend Anne. So when she brings it over every year, I mean, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in it for the icebox pie, too, but I love to have that. Like underneath that all is this, this connection with my friend Anne, and, and that is the hunger that is satisfied every year on my birthday when she comes calling. Here's one thing that I learned from Anne, and I also learned it from my own mom. The people who feed us help to shape what we long for. The people in our lives who feed us, now I'm talking like physically, but also spiritually. People who feed us help, help to shape the, that which we long for, that which we want. So the question is, who is feeding you? And then at the same time, whose longing are you helping to shape as you walk through life. Jesus was often 
quoted for his descriptions of what the kingdom of heaven is like. He was always saying this. And if you've ever heard me talk, I, I, I can't help it. It's just Jesus is always describing that there's this something that is coming. It's like the ultimate reality. It's what all of this is leading up to is the kingdom of heaven. And he'd like to talk about it. And he would say, well, the kingdom of heaven is like, um, it's like yeast in your bread. Or it's, it's like a mustard seed that starts off really small and it grows and it's bigger. Or he'd say it's like a treasure in a field. And then one time he described it like this. This is later in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So what's he describing the the kingdom of heaven uh, to be like? Is it the pearl? I always thought it was the pearl. Because it's more like the yeast and the seed and and the treasure in the field. But in this case, Jesus says, the one who was searching for the pearl is like the kingdom of heaven. Because blessed are the longing. If he was going to put that story into a beatitude, he'd say, blessed are the longing. Blessed are those who are hungry and who are thirsty and searching and feeling the ache of something that is not quite right yet. Jesus says, you are blessed when you're hungering and thirsting for good things. All right, so now we've talked about what it means to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. What what is Jesus talking about when when he's saying that, what does it mean to have an ache for righteousness? What is he talking about when he says hungering and thirsting for, for righteousness? When he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he does another one of those things where he kind of turns everybody's understanding on its head. Because here's where we, where we might expect a religious man to say, blessed are those who are righteous, for they will never be hungry, never be thirsty. Everyone around is hearing righteousness as something that you accomplish by doing. The prevailing idea of what righteousness was was the ability to perfectly keep the law. So the righteous ones checked all the boxes. They had all the boxes checked, but what they didn't hunger and thirst for what was, was what Jesus was actually talking about when he talked about righteousness. They didn't have an ache for righteousness. They had an ache for rightness. What was important for them was to be right, not to be righteous. So Jesus is challenging what we think of when we hear the word righteousness. Like we think, what can I do to be right? I can go to church or log into church as it is right now. Check. Uh, I can read the Bible more. Check. I can give to more charities. I can serve at church. I can do all of these things, which are amazing things. These, this is a list of amazing things that grow out of righteousness, righteousness. They are not what make us righteous. It's a really important distinction that Jesus was getting at. If we could do it by our own checklist, then we could be righteous all on our own. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans that there is none who are righteous. No, not one. If we could do it all on our our own, there would be many who were righteous, right? We'd be surrounded by righteous people. Some of us would even be counted among those who are righteous, but Paul says not one. The words in the Bible that are translated as righteousness are rooted not in what we do, but in our relationship. So what Jesus is really talking about is a concept that describes God's work to save us 
and then our response to God's work to save us. So righteousness is right relationship with God. Now, this is going to feel like a trick question, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it. What's the opposite of having a right relationship with God? We want to say a wrong relationship with God. I want to say maybe it's more like a misaligned relationship with God. Our relationship with God can get out of whack. Has it ever happened to you? (laughs) Have you ever been in any relationship that's kind of gotten out of whack? It's kind of off-center. It's a little bit off-kilter. Like you're, you're still in it, but it just feels a little bit wobbly. You know, and sometimes when you're in a situation like that, you get like you would do anything. You feel desperate, like I'm, I'm out of whack. I still want to be in a relationship, but it's just not quite right. And so you would do anything to fix it, anything to set it straight, right? You would go to counseling. You would, you would apologize more often. You, you, would do the, you would stop doing the things that you're doing. You would start doing the things that you're not doing, right? You want to, you want to fix things. You want to align the misaligned relationship. Read Jesus' words this way. Blessed are those who are in right relationship with God. So the next important question to consider here is, how does right relationship with God happen? It's a one-word answer. Jesus. Jesus is how right relationship with God happens. In Christ, our relationship with God is justified. It was out of whack. Now it's justified in Jesus. It's brought back into alignment. Jesus is our righteousness. So one more time, just because this is really good news. Your relationship with God that was once either non-existence or out of alignment is made right in Jesus Christ. Again, Paul says, 2 Corinthians, he says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So let me go kind of one step further in this, if you allow me. Jesus is our righteousness. So if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we hunger and thirst for Jesus. In the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is really clear that this has some implications. uh, uh, There are some implications of righteousness on our life here and now. We'll get into it even actually over the next several months as well. But it's kind of a living out of this part of the Beatitude. Righteous living looks in some, some really particular ways, and Jesus shares some of them. He says things like, you, you have heard, you've been told to love your neighbor, but I tell you to love your enemy. He takes it from something that, that you could conceivably check off of a list and moves it into a heart thing that you could never possibly do on your own. It will impact how you live your life when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. So righteousness is right relationship with God, and right relationship with God is lived out in right relationship with others. So here's what it begins to look like, and we're going to be fleshing this out for some time to come. A few things are going to happen when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. One of them is one you might not think of right off the bat, but when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, others will be fed. When we hunger and thirst for Jesus, Others will be fed. Other people's 
physical and spiritual needs will begin to be met in our hungering after Jesus. Jesus didn't use physical hunger as a, as a bait-and-switch tactic. I want to be really clear about that. He was concerned for the whole person. And, and so we, as the body of Christ, we join together and we, we provide food for hundreds of people every month. We provide meals for children in Haiti. We provide water for people in Nicaragua. And all of this is a result of people not being righteous, but being hungry and thirsty for Jesus. And, and when, when others are fed, the lie of scarcity will be exposed. I've heard this so many times that I don't even, I kind of stop paying attention to it, but, but there's this sense and this, this truth that the problem of hunger in our world is not about a quantity of food. It's about transportation, right? It's about distribution of food. There is plenty of food. There's not a scarcity of resources in the world. For some reason, we're not able to get it to the places where it needs to go. Today, you might have heard about this in the news um, it, right in the middle of this pandemic, there are, are farmers who are having to dump out their milk on the ground and dump out their crops on the ground, not because they're bad and not because there aren't hungry people, but we can't get it to the places where there are hungry people. Like it's the greatest tragedy facing us in some ways in the world today. And somehow I think that the answer is in our hunger and our thirst for Jesus, which will let, lead to others being fed. You know, God doesn't operate out of scarcity. God operates out of abundance. So even in a time of pandemic, we want to be really careful that we're not dumping out the blessings of God on the ground. When there are people who are hungry in our neighborhoods and around the world, there are people who are hungry for Jesus in our neighborhoods and in our homes and around the world. If we are hungering and thirsting for Jesus, other people will be fed. When we're hungering and thirsting for Jesus, we will know peace. The prophet Isaiah gives us this image. He says, the fruit of that righteousness will be peace. The fruit of the righteousness that we are striving after as followers of Jesus is peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Jesus was all the time telling us about this promise of peace that he wanted to leave for his disciples, that he wanted to leave for the world. Peace is, God, is God's desire for the world through Jesus Christ. He would always say, my peace, I leave you. It's the fruit of righteousness. When we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, we will receive Jesus. Jesus says it himself in John chapter 6. He declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I think he meant it physically and spiritually. And all of these things that we're experiencing, all of these things that we experience when we hunger and we thirst for Jesus are pointing us to a future We've talked about this in, the, in this series. All, all of these things that Jesus is, is preaching towards are preaching, moving us towards our ultimate fulfillment. In, in the book of Revelation, it has this line of promise saying that never again will they hunger and thirst. Never again will they hunger and thirst. There is a reality coming. 
a time coming, a place coming, a life coming when there will be no more hunger. There will be no more thirst. There will be no more hungering and thirsting for righteousness because we will be fully in the presence of the righteous one, fully in the presence of Jesus. There will be no more tears. There will be no more worshiping in houses all over the place. We'll be able to worship together as one body. It will be a beautiful thing. It is the dream of God's heart for us to be unified in that. There's a time coming where there'll be no more mourning, where our spirits will be lifted up. Some of you this morning are saying, well, I'm not really sure that I hunger for Jesus. I'm not not really sure that I'm longing for Jesus, but I'm longing to long for Jesus. And you'll, you'll remember that's, that's actually the place where Jesus has this ability to kind of enter in and bring us to our ultimate fulfillment. Jesus says to that, I can work with that. If you long to long for Jesus, that's exactly the place where Jesus is able to work and move us forward to, to this great big banquet feast <laughs> where everybody is filled, where everybody feels the presence of Jesus Christ. So in your, in your home or wherever you are right now, I want to invite you to, to pray this prayer with me. I'm just going to give you a line at a time. If you want to pray it out loud wherever you are, I invite you to do that. Oh God, we are hungry and thirsty. We long for Jesus. We long for right relationship with you. We say yes to that longing. We say yes to Jesus. Come and fill us in Jesus' name. As we, as we go out today, we're going to end with a song of blessing. And I want you to stick around for this, this song of blessing and hold in your heart the name or the face of a person who has who has inspired in you a deep longing for good things, a deep longing for Jesus. And hold in your heart those people who, who, whose lives God has put you in their, in their lives so that, that you could help to spur that in them as well, spur in them a desire for more and more of Jesus Christ. And together we'll experience uh, this, this song of blessing, which, which speaks of passing that on from generation to generation. Receive this blessing and benediction.